The message this morning is those who suppress God's truth. Those who suppress, hold down, hinder God's truth. If you'd open your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, please, and you will find the passage that I'll read to you in a moment. But let me lay the background for it. A number of you have asked me recently about a couple of these situations. Recently, several well-known, high-profile Christians have announced that they have defected from the faith, that they were people who grew up believing the Bible, being taught the Bible, educated in some cases in the Bible, formally, and then at some point in their life, they decide that it's not what they believe anymore, and so they renounce the faith. They defect, if you would, from the Christian faith. The most notable of them, or most well-known, I should say better, is a man named Josh Harris, and he's been much in the news in Christian news circles. He was an author. He wrote a book about 20 years ago called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. He made the case because that uh, dating was the reason for the sexual promiscuity we have in America and that we ought to go back to the days of courtship uh, when the parents basically control the process. He came out of a family. His mom and daddy were some of the best known and one of the earliest proponents of the uh, homeschool movement. And uh, so he grew up homeschooled and believing that he ought not to date the out of court, as the term used to be used. He never went to seminary or Bible college, but in process of time, he was sort of mentored by a well-known pastor, C.J. Matheny, and uh, he followed him. And then when Matheny retired, Josh Harris took over a very large mega church up in the Maryland, D.C. area. He, um, he uh, resigned his church some time back, and then following shortly after he announced his resignation from the church, he divorced his wife. He announced that he and his wife would be, be divorced. And then a, few, a couple of months ago, he renounced the Christian faith. He said, basically, I am an apostate. He even used biblical terminology. He said... By no definition that I can imagine could I any longer be called a Christian. Because he was a high-profile pastor, of course, that got on the news. It went across the country, and um, everybody was talking about it in the Christian world. A few weeks after he announced his divorce from his wife and his renunciation of Christianity, why he ends up marching in a gay pride parade in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. And he apologized to the gay community for the remarks he had made about them and about gay marriage in his sermons when he was a pastor. Now, he's not the only one. There's been a number of other high-profile uh, Christians. There's one who is a well, well-known uh, musician, he writes Christian, mu or he writes music. 
there was a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, that did the same thing. And so this is picking up steam. Now, these are not people who have been caught in moral failure necessarily. Some of them, I suspect that that is there, but it's not come out yet. But uh, Perry Noble and uh, Bill Hybels and a number of other well-known pastors and so on, but, but they were caught in, in, in moral compromise in some form or another in their personal life, but they did not renounce the Christian faith. But Josh Harris and others now are saying, I don't believe that Christianity is even a valid system anymore. And this is really confusing to people. How could a person be reared in a Christian home, know the Scripture, claim to believe it, order your life in that direction for 20 or 30 years, as in the case of these, be involved in ministry, and then suddenly make some discovery that you claim you no longer believe the Christian faith, that you, in fact, reject Christianity, you reject Jesus Christ, you reject the Bible, you reject the Christian faith. Well, those are far away, and we don't see them. They don't affect us so much. They're more more, uh, matters of the news, and we'll go on to something else soon. But I'm thinking about the family sitting here today, much closer home. I'm thinking about the people that you put, brought your child up here in this church. I'm thinking about the people who you raised them, and you might have even sent them to Christian school. And then they come home from college after a year or so, and they give you the little talk. Mom, Dad, I don't believe in Christianity anymore. I don't believe the Bible anymore. I don't like the Florence Baptist Temple. I don't, I'm not going to go to church, or if I do, I'm sure not going to go to that kind of church anymore. And uh, I know that this thing can cut. There's probably not a person sitting here in the building that you have not, that you don't know somebody like this. They make statements like, I used to be a Christian. I want to tell you on the authority of God's Word, there's no such thing as a used to be a Christian. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would not have gone out from us. First John is very clear about that. We don't believe that people lose their salvation. We believe they were, that they may have even thought that they were saved. They may have bought Hebrews 6 says they tasted the Word of God. It doesn't say that they ever really swallowed it. And they, they may have gone through a, a, a social type of thing, but they never were really genuinely regenerated of the Holy Spirit or born again. However, that's not the subject today. I want you to understand what is happening in these cases because they're much in the news today. And I want you to know how to respond to those things when they do occur. And so the message is those who suppress God's truth. I read from the book of Romans. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God together? And in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest or demonstrated in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the earth 
of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, I want you to continue to look at your Bible, to look at your Bible. We use the King James Bible overwhelmingly here in this church. I always use it. But I do read from other things, and particularly some of these scriptures here in Romans 1 can get very, very complex. The, the language, the, the argument, and so on. So I'm going to read it again. You look at your version of the Bible, but I want you to listen to me while you do so, and I'm going to read a paraphrase of it. But God, verse 18, but God reveals his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who hold down, and the word hold down has the idea of suppressing, knowing it and holding it down, putting it down, hindering it, who hold it down and don't let it surface in their lives. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth of God by their wicked living. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the heavens. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. Thank you, and you may be seated. Number one this morning, God has revealed himself to every single human being. There's nobody alive today on this planet to whom God has not revealed himself. The Bible teaches that clearly. He has revealed himself in three ways. Three, three ways. Nobody could live here and not be familiar with one of these ways at least. Number one, God has, of course, revealed himself through his word, the Bible, the Scripture. And the Scripture claims to be inspired, 2 Timothy 3 and 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, a verse that is quoted often, and if you come to church here regularly, you know that verse. All Scripture is given by inspiration. The word inspiration has the idea of breathing out. God breathed out the Scripture. And first or Second Peter says that holy men of old spoke or wrote down the words of God as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We talked about that this past Wednesday night. And so, God reveals himself through his word. Look in Romans chapter 3. You're right there in the neighborhood. And you will see that it says that there were committed unto the Jewish people the oracles of God. What is an or oracle? An or oracle is an announcement. It's a pronouncement. 
if I walk up here to the pulpit and say, I want to make an announcement as I did a moment ago, then that is an oracle. It is a pronouncement. And the Bible refers to itself as the oracle, the pronouncement of Almighty God to humans. And the Bible refers to itself hundreds and hundreds of times as the Word of God. Literally, I think it's over a thousand times, the Bible refers to itself as I am the Word of God. Not only was the Bible inspired, however, but the Bible is true. Jesus Christ said, Thy Word is true. If you deny today that the Word of God is in fact true, then you are calling Jesus Christ a liar to get to the bottom line. Did Jesus Christ tell the truth, or did Jesus Christ lie when he said the Bible was true? And so the Bible's inspired, and Jesus said the Bible is true. And Jesus also said the Bible is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so the word of God is not passing away, and there's some new truth that the world has never discovered before. The word of God will endure until the heavens and the earth are completely gone according to the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has revealed himself through his word. You have a copy of that word, a Bible in your hand. This is the oracle of God, the announcement of God to human beings. This is God's truth that will endure eternally. Number two, however, God revealed himself through creation. Not only through the Bible, but there's another Bible, and that Bible is called creation. It's the universe itself. In Psalm 19 and 1 is very familiar to you. The Bible there says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth showeth his firmament, his, his handiwork. And so I go over and sit on the beach and I look at the ocean and all that man has made is behind me on the hill, on the, on the hill behind me, but I look out over that vast expanse and there's the ocean. I don't know how you can look at the Atlantic Ocean and not believe that there is a God somewhere, some being that made that. That ocean is his handiwork. I go out tonight, get out of town far enough that the lights don't take away from them, and I look up at the stars, and billions and billions of stars and planets and moons and solar bodies, and it goes on and on and on to infinity. Nobody has ever even measured the universe yet. And I look up there, and I say, somebody put them there. There has to be a divine person, a creator. Those stars are up there, and, for the, and they're ordered. They're not crashing into each other and all that kind of thing. They're up there. They have their courses. They run. We set our watch by them. We set our calendar by them. There is a God. He has revealed himself through creation. Look at chapter 1 again of Romans there where I read to you the Scripture and verse number 20, and I'm going to read it again and sort of paraphrase it for you because it's uh, kind of complex there. And here's the way I would say it. Since the creation, the evidence of God who is invisible, you can't see him, since creation morning, the evidence of God who is invisible can be clearly understood by looking at the visible things that God has made. And so I look at the stars, I look at the ocean, I look at the tree, 
I look at the human body. I look at the new baby, and I say, all of this could not and did not just happen. I don't care how many PhDs are telling you that in the college classroom. Your own common sense argues against that. Nobody was ever born an evolutionist. They have to be brainwashed into that. And so God revealed himself. How? Through the Bible, through creation, and number three, he revealed himself through conscience. And what is conscience? The conscience is when God created me and when he created you, he put within our brain, in the brain that he created that goes in each of our heads. Well, most of our heads. But at any rate, when God created the brain, there's a little part of the brain that he put there that has the capacity to determine good and evil and right and wrong. And it is a reliable indicator of morality. God made us like that. I read where somebody said that the conscience is the thing that feels bad when everything else feels good. <laughs> that conscience is, to me, like the little red light on my dashboard. I turn on my car in the morning, and a couple of times through the years, I've turned on the car, and there was a little light, and it said, check engine, and it stayed on. Boy, that'll give you the worries. I mean, immediately you're saying, oh, my soul, what's going on? I'm going to have to replace the whole engine or something. You know, you, your mind goes to the very worst scenario here. Well, conscience is that little light that comes on. And you act on something or think something or say something or do something. And the little light comes on and says, check the engine. Check the engine. You're walking out on the edge. That may not be right. Turn to Romans 2. All oh, this is right here in the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse number 14. When the Gentiles or the pagan people, the people who didn't have the Bible, they have not the law, the moral law of God. They do by nature the things that are contained in the law. These Though they don't have the law, or a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, there's the word, and it comes on on the dashboard of life. It bears witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing them. Now, what is the conscience? It doesn't direct you. It doesn't guide you. It didn't give you the answer except in one little narrow area of life. The conscience comes on and it says, that's wrong. You should stop and not go any further. Or it says, it's okay. It excuses the activity and it says, that's okay. Proceed. You're going down that road. And everybody has it and everybody's always had it. God created us with that conscience. Do you remember when Cain killed his brother? And God said, Cain, where's your brother in Genesis chapter 4? Do you remember his answer? It proves that the conscience was active and working even back then. What did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? Hey, wait a minute. Didn't he know where his brother was? Yeah, he killed him and hid in his body. But he gives a deceptive answer. He gives one of those kinds of answers where he asks a question. He's not really asking for information. He's telling a question. 
He's using it to deceive, to get us off track. Am I my brother's keeper? And so we see right there that guilt had already set in in his life. He already knew. Now, here's the interesting thing. There wasn't any Bible in the days of Cain. He didn't have a scripture. He had never heard a sermon. He knew absolutely nothing about what you and I would call scripture. But deep down in his brain and in his mind, he knew right from wrong because God puts that in our brain, that little part called conscience. How did he... How did Cain know it was wrong to kill? The only way he knew it and the reason he wouldn't answer God is because his conscience, that light was on his dashboard blinking right then. God has revealed himself. To every human being on the planet, the pagan who has never heard, look there in Genesis, or, uh, Romans chapter 3, or uh, 2, pardon me, And in verse 14, the Gentiles, the people that don't have the law, that don't have a Bible, that never go to church, but God's revealed himself to them. The man on the back 40 in Mongolia and China, the person at the tip of South America, the person in the jungle, the person in the urban jungle in New York City who never heard a message and knows nothing about God, some of them have Scripture. Most of them do. But many of them do not have Scripture. But they can look at nature and know that all this didn't just happen. And they can look down inside their heart. And when they do wrong, they know that light comes on and their conscience warns them. Yes, God has revealed himself to the pagan who never even heard the word God through his moral law that he planted within them. And so that leads me to my second point. Every human being has God's moral law written in their hearts. Keep your finger in Romans, but turn to a verse you may never have read or noticed before. It's in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter number 31, and I want you to look at this because I really want you to understand it. Now, we put it on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but mark it in your Bible if you have your Bible. And God said, I will put my law. He means the moral law, the Ten Commandments. We'll just shorten it to that. God said, I will put my moral law in the minds of people, and I will write it in their heart, and I will be their God. I'm going to write my law in people's minds, and I am going to write it on their heart. They don't have to have a King James Version of the Bible they're carrying around. There are certain things they know because they're made in the image of God, and God has written that. He has transcribed that right into their hearts. Now go back to Romans 1 with me. And in verse number 18, it says here, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. And that term, hold the truth, means to suppress the truth, to hold it down, to fight against what I know is true, to suppress the truth when it wells up and my conscience speaks to me to say, I'm not listening to that. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. 
And I believe that these people who have been exposed so richly to Christianity that I've described earlier in the message, I don't believe them when they tell me I don't believe the Bible. They are going against their very, very nature, but their love of sin overcomes their quest for truth, if you will. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He wrote a book called The Abolition of Man. Now, I want you to listen carefully to his reasoning because this is not something you just listen to sort of passively. You've got to listen actively. C.S. Lewis said, there are universal moral laws and virtues that have been held true in all societies from ancient Babylon and Egypt to Greece to Native America among Jews Christians, Hindus, Confucians, Muslims, universal moral truth regarded. You can't have a society if everybody's killing each other. You can't have an ordered society if you're, if you're a Confucian or you're a Buddhist. You, you know you can't steal everything from everybody all the time and have an ordered society. Civilization itself depends upon people agreeing that there are certain things that are right and wrong. We're in trouble in America. We can't even agree on what is the most basic thing that is right and whether it's wrong or not. A society can't last like that, folks. It can't endure. C.S. Lewis said, he went back and studied all these ancient cultures, and then he wrote in The Abolition of Man. He said, every one of those cultures have valued justice, truth, kindness, mercy, marital fidelity, respect for human life. Every one of them, they didn't have a Bible, but they know in their heart of hearts that you can't have a family, you can't have a society. You're going to have anarchy if people don't agree on certain basic qualities and values. George Bush, our former president, spoke in 2002 at the graduation at West Point. It was a few months after 9-11. And our president said at that time, and I quote him, moral truth is the same in every creature, in every time, and in every place. There's no place that people don't understand moral truth. Thomas Aquinas, who was a medieval philosopher and theologian, a great, great, great thinker, Aquinas said, and I quote from him, God created us in His image as moral, reasoning beings, and unless we suppress our consciences, there's the phrase, unless we suppress our consciences, we know basic moral truth. Ralph Dollinger is a man who he played for uh, Coach John Wooten at um, UCLA back when they were winning. He's one of the few people in America ever played on four national championship basketball teams in a row. 
Back then, he said they let freshmen play, and so he lettered four years and won the national championship. His team won the national championship all four years that he played from freshman to senior. He got out, and he got saved. He really got saved. He went into the ministry. He graduated from seminary. He is a very astute Bible scholar. And he has gone to Washington, and he has started this Bible study that they have, and you've probably heard about. They have it. One version of it is at the White House on Wednesday mornings, and I think eight of the cabinet members of the president attend that Bible study every Wednesday morning. He has another one at the Capitol, and now they're organizing chapters like in Colombia and the state, uh, the state capitals across the country and even in foreign countries. And they bring legislators together to study God's Word. And he, try, of course, tries to win the lost, and he tries to educate them on what the Bible teaches about the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic and philosophy of life. Well, here's what Ralph Dollinger said. So I went to Washington, and I began to walk the halls of the Capitol, and, and, and I began to hobnob with these uh, uh, congressmen and senators, and I began to know them, and I was introduced to them, and I began to go to their offices, and I would have visits with them, and I would talk to them. And my idea was I was going to have to take the Bible and convince them about moral issues. He says, I've learned, and I quote, there's no need for me to educate those who make the laws. And he goes further, and you know why he said that? They already know the truth. And he said, when that congressperson, man or woman, stands in front of me and says, I'm voting for that abortion bill, I think it's okay to kill babies, he said, in my heart of hearts, I know they're lying. They know the truth. It's written on their hearts. Their consciences tell them, you can't take a baby out of a womb and smash its brains out and call yourself a civilized person. Every human being has God's moral law written in their heart. So why do people reject the Christian faith and defect? And why do young people now go to college after they've been through our whole system here and come home and reject God and His Word? I no longer believe in Christianity. Turn with me and I'll show you exactly why. It's in John chapter 3, and you don't have any trouble finding that one, do you? John chapter number 3, and the Word of God could not be clearer about this. There's no ambiguity here. John 3 and 19, this is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world. What light is he talking about? He's talking about the light of the Word of God. He's talking about the light of creation. He's talking about the light of conscience. And most of all, he's talking about the light of Jesus Christ who said, I am the light of the world. Light has come into the world and it's been revealed through the Word of God, through the creation, and through the conscience. Light is everywhere. But, he continues, men love darkness why do men choose the dark way? They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. 
They love their sin. They love their wickedness. They love their unbelief. They love it so much they'll say, I don't want to hear that anymore. I don't believe that. And they hold it down. And when the light comes on on the conscience dash, they suppress it. It's like covering up the dashboard light when it comes on. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be around it. Go down in verse number 20. He even gets stronger. Everyone that doeth evil hateth. There's the word, hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. They don't want to be around the light because their deeds are evil. You wonder why some people don't want to come to church? John 3.20. That's why they don't want to come. They don't want to be around the light lest their evil deeds be revealed. Somber, sober, frightening almost to me that people could think they could they could know about God and His Word and reject it and walk away from it. And I don't think they really can walk away from it. And so I was doing some research and I looked at a YouTube video, which I don't really recommend, but, you know, in my weaker moment. And there's a young man on there, probably about 40. Here's the story. My dad was a pastor. And my dad came to the point where he no longer believed in Christianity. So he resigned his church. He left the ministry. He walked away. And I, too, listened to my dad and his reasoning, his thinking, and he convinced me. And so both of us became atheists. But my dad now has a problem. He's afraid. He's getting old. What do I tell my dad that'll give him peace? What do you tell a man who preached the Word of God and said, I don't believe it, and there is no God, let his own child that way? And now, he's getting old, and that light's blinking. You're getting ready to meet, well, there is no God, yeah, but what if there is? Can you tell my dad what to do? He can't sleep at night. This is not ignorance why people do this. I want you to understand that. It's not a lack of education. This is calculated, willful rebellion against the God that made them. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want, some of you are close to these things. But it's, it's not that they don't understand. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. Just write these down. I won't, I won't turn there for time's sake. But you'll find there a phrase, Romans 8 and 7, the carnal mind, meaning the natural mind, is enmity. Enmity means hostile, at war with God. The natural mind of a human being before conversion is hostile and at war with God. Now, you have some friends, and they're nice people, and they're unconverted people, but I can tell you that lurking beneath all that niceness, when a person knowingly rejects God, there's a problem, and the Bible says it's hostility to God. They don't want His authority in their life. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. He didn't, they're not blind physically. It's their mind that's been affected. And once they make that turn, Titus 1 and 15, unto them, and, and I really like this one. Look this one up when you can. Titus 1 and 15, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Nothing is pure. Even their mind and conscience is defiled. Go back with me to Romans 1 for just a second. In verse number 24 of Romans 1, it says, God gave them up. In Romans 1 and 26, two verses later, it says it again, God gave them up. Let me tell you what that literally means in the Greek language in which it was written. God abandoned them. God abandoned them. Verse number 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind where evil completely consumes them. Well, you're saying, Pastor, how could a loving God give up on human beings? Well, I want you to notice, He doesn't give up until they have absolutely apostatized, until they have rejected the truth in every form. And he doesn't do it the first time they reject it. It's a process. So lastly and quickly, then how should we respond to these kinds of people? And I'll give you three things I want you to keep in mind or maybe write down there right quick. Number one, don't buy into their argument. Here's the way I've heard. I've had people say, well, now they don't believe the Bible. I can't use the Bible then when I talk to them. Wrong. Wrong, wrong. Don't, you're buying into their argument. You can't prove your case unless you use the Bible. That's the only basis you have for arguing for Jesus Christ, virgin birth, for example. You always use the Bible. You never let them checkmate you. You never let them have the home court advantage. Don't you ever believe the fact. Somebody says, I don't believe the Bible, so I don't want to talk about it with you. You can't defend your faith by weakening your position. Let me say that again. You don't defend the faith by giving up the strength of your position. The only strength you and I have is the Bible, isn't it? 
Number two, we must faithfully and regularly and consistently proclaim the Scripture to people. It is God's truth. It's more powerful than I will ever understand or you will understand. The simplest little word sometimes drops like a bomb in people's hearts. We don't know when that's going to happen. Do you know what Jeremiah said? Listen to this from Jeremiah. Is not my word like a hammer? And he's talking about the stone cutter who didn't, he's not using a sledgehammer to hit the rock. He's tapping on the rock. And he keeps tapping in the same place and tap, 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 tap with a little chisel and a hammer. Tap, 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 tap. Sometimes for hours at a time, then the stone breaks. My word is that hammer. And so just tap, tap, tap. You don't hit them with sledgehammer. Some of us want to sledgehammer people. No, 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 no. You tap, 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 tap. But you never quit using the word of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. Don't buy their argument. Faithfully and regularly, consistently proclaim the scripture and continue to love and pray that God will liberate them from this suppression of what they know to be true. Because their minds are before their minds become fully and ultimately darkened. Continue to love them. Don't ever give up on them. It doesn't matter if they tell you they don't believe in the Bible, they don't believe in the Lord Jesus. Tap, 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 tap. Live in front of them in a manner they can see the reality. And pray for them and show them love. God may yet bring them to his truth. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.